Totally Football Show. Today, dopey, sleepy, and then grumpy as Lily Whites make like Snow White and take in seven at home. Elsewhere, while Real meet a real Hazard from Belgium, Club Bruges, and Liverpool get peppered by Salzburg before it's sorted by Salah in one of the games of the season, we round up all the big stories from the midweek matches and much, much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and hello if you were one of the special people, special friends, who came along to see us at the South Bank Centre on Monday night. Duncan Alexander, you were there. Mm, I was, yeah. It was good, wasn't it? It certainly was. I had a terrific time. Start, really, of a great week of football. Uh, talking about football and also playing it. Lindsay Hooper, you've been to Austria. I have, in a non-football-related sense. Okay. I had a weekend off for once. I'd done so many games that I right. thought, you know, go to the hills, breathe in the fresh air. Did you kind of skip along? <laughs> I did. I, I wore Leverhusen. <laughs> what? Right, Ra- Raphael Honigstein. You didn't wear Leverhusen. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, I don't okay. even know how to say it, clearly. Okay. Hey, Rafa, how are you doing? Any yodeling? Yodeling. I can yodel. Yeah, I'd I love can to yodel. hear that. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, Rafa, shana tova to you. Thank you, James. For the, the uh, Jishni year. 5,780 is the year. Have Liverpool won the league yet? Etc. <laughs> <laughs> That was your joke on Monday, (laughs) Duncan. Uh, Anyway, and uh, as I say, it was an extraordinary... I've seen you for the last two nights doing the Gold Show across one of the craziest midweeks that I can recall. What would you say, Ralph? Mm. That was pretty good. I think Champions League group stage, although I might be slightly biased, I think it's unfairly maligned often. And people saying, well, we know the results. It's always the same teams. No, no, no. But... It was a lot of good fun. I would say, if you are bored of watching the best teams in European football play each other, maybe find a different sport. Right. Sounds fair. Let's just get a quick roundup on the big headlines from that Champions League. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Too much red ball left Liverpool sweating as Salzburg roared back from three goals down to level at Anfield 3-3 before Mo Salah got three points in the can. Other plucky underdogs battling back included Real Madrid, who were at home to the second-best team in Belgium, Bruges, went two goals down in hilarious fashion before salvaging a 2-2 draw but leaving their egos bruised. Elsewhere, Chelsea got a big win in Lille. Messi looked tidy as Barca beat Inter 2-1 and PSG, Man City and Ajax continued their perfect starts. And Spurs lost to Bayern 7-2. Gnabry, who fancies another one, Gnabry, and he's got another one. Oh, my word. It's going from the sublime to the ridiculous for Tottenham Hotspur in the Champions League. Their biggest ever European defeat. And Bayern Munich are running up the score. Yes, listener. Tottenham Hotspur remaking a horror show named Seven as Bayern repeatedly get ahead in their box. How do you say Rafa Magnificent Seven in German? Die glorreichen Sieben. Right. And uh, you were all over this game on uh, the goal show. Biggest home defeat for an English team in a European competition. And a game which started well for Spurs. What the heck happened? It was a bit of a freak game because the result, I don't think, quite reflected what happened on the pitch. Certainly not, didn't reflect what happened in the first 40 minutes or so where Spurs were well on top, pressed Bayern, harassed Bayern, disrupted Bayern. Bayern couldn't cope with the pressing, found it really difficult to get any sort of uh, midfield game going. 
and Spurs had a lot of chances. Um, Son bore down on goal, I think, three times. Neuer had to be on top of his game. Couldn't keep out one shot, but then did well with others. And then really out of the proverbial nothing, Kimmich scores the sort of shot that goes in maybe once every 100 attempts. Lewandowski with a similar feat outside the box as well. And Spurs find themselves 2-1 down and Bayern change things because they have to, um, certainly with Alaba having to come off and Thiago comes on. And it's a completely different game. Bayern suddenly have control. And then what is the worrying part of the story is that Spurs seem to fall apart. There's one thing to tire. There's one thing to say, OK, after the pressing, it didn't quite work. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's play a little bit more on the break from deeper position. But Spurs were never able to put up any defence right. against the Bayern team that scored at will by the end of the game. So just to put it into context... Um Bayern quite like North London because 7.3% of their goals in Champions League history have come against either Arsenal or Tottenham now. Um, I would say this is actually the most disgraceful result in English club history. Disgraceful? It was a disgraceful result in the sense of, you know, an English team in the Champions League conceding seven at home. I mean, that's never happened before. Um, the only time an English team has conceded more at home in a European game was Spurs against Cologne, but that was in the Intertoto Cup, which isn't really a competition, is it? Let's be honest. So... Um, I mean, as Rafa said, the performance didn't reflect the scoreline, but in terms of raw scoreline, in, in 20 years' time, people aren't going to think back and go, actually, yeah, Spurs did all right for the first half. You're just going to see the scoreline, and, and it is, you know, shocking. Rafa, you went to the Bayern Munich banquet after the game. What was that like? It was, it was fun. <laughs> I mean, it is still a corporate event, so people don't, you know, don't get completely smashed up and start dancing on, on, on the tables. The players don't hang around for long. They've got other places to go, other people to see. But it was interesting in a, in a, in a more narrow football sense because this was Bayern basically arriving back on a big stage and feeling very happy with themselves. You know, Spurs had been in the final. Spurs had done much more with, with less resources than Bayern with theirs. Niko Kovac was a manager that, or still is a manager that a lot of people in, in Munich are not sure about. Pochettino, on the other hand, is a manager that Bayern have looked at and think, you know, he's maybe the guy who can take us to the next level. So all these things, uh, with the background of the Premier League um, dominating the Bundesliga in terms of revenue and the Bundesliga always feeling a little bit inferior, all these things sort of combined to make it just a really happy and content evening. Everyone was smiling and, and the family were there and yeah, it's just one of those happy moments in North London that actually happened quite often, um, usually against Arsenal. Many, many lovely stories from a Bayern perspective. Lewandowski confirming his deadly status as a marksman and uh, a wonderful opening goal, as you mentioned, from Kimmich uh, out of nowhere. But the one that I think has caught everyone's attention is, is Serge Gnabry, who's now scored as many goals at the new Spurs Stadium as Harry Kane has. Remarkable. How did we get, this is the big question, from 12 minutes under Tony Pulis to that incredible second half against Spurs? Well, the 12 minutes under Tony Pulis are not really representative of his early career. He had a really good start at Arsenal. You know, mm. He was playing Champions League games for Arsenal. He was coming on in big games. He then picked up an injury, was sort of out of the picture, then came back, then thought, you know what, alone is probably a really good idea. I'm going to get regular game time. It didn't work out. When he came back, he thought, you know what, now... Do I start again being fourth or fifth choice or will I look elsewhere where I can get regular game time? And this all coincided with Germany picking him quite accidentally because he was well down the picking order as well to play at the Olympics. He only got in because Leon Goretzka got injured and one 
space freed up. And of course, he was a regular, scored six goals as Germany went all the way to the final in Brazil and I think lost on penalties. And suddenly, then Arsenal, you know, felt, okay, we have to keep this guy. But he no longer felt it was a sensible um, choice to stay and pick this fight with these more advanced, you know, more seasoned players ahead of him and went to Bremen, where he was a guaranteed starter, then went to Hoffenheim on loan and then went to Bayern, where he arrived at a much more fully formed professional and um just at the right moment in his career. Just at the right time as well for Bayern, because only two seasons ago, I was out there, I spoke to Lewandowski when when the, the chips were down at Bayern. It, it was a, a club that was going through transition. They weren't performing as well as they had been. And there was something missing there. And they were saying to me that at the Audi Cup, because I went out there when Liverpool played them a couple of years ago. And there was something at Bayern that wasn't quite clicking at that time. And now that's reversed. And you look at the Spurs performance performance of two years ago when everything was clicking and now they seem to have been entering this uncertain period but in a similar fashion if you look at the league form it isn't devastating it never was for Bayern but there were just things that weren't quite clicking and 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 as free-flowing as that we saw in that second half performance from them and I'm still not sure that Bayern are fully on it yet I mean are you you thinking that they are contenders to win the Champions League this this season? Well, I think when you spend a lot of time looking at particular teams, the flaws seem to get magnified and you think, you know, Bayern can't win because Kovac isn't quite up to it and they have some issues when it comes to defending and the centre-backs are not that very quick. But then you look around and everyone more or less seems to be a little bit vulnerable, perhaps with the exception of Manchester City, um, who pick up injuries but also have performed uh, imperiously so far in this competition. The the big debate about Kovac and whether he is the right man or so will not go away entirely, but because Bayern have now all but qualified, um, you know, Bayern needs some bar some huge upsets in the next couple of games, it's going to be delayed again, and uh, only in February and March will we hear, will he and Bayern arrive and think, okay, now we'll have to see what what all of this is worth because I think it will be perhaps easy in the next few weeks to say, you know what, maybe we just got Spurs in a very, very bad moment and maybe this is not us being a, a team that can destroy Premier League sides, but just Spurs kind of crumbled that night. But I think, Lindsay, what you picked on was right because this is a sense that Bayern, even though they might not be 100% yet, are developing a new team, new, new players taking control of this team, the likes of Naby, the likes of Coleman, the likes of Zule at the back, whereas Spurs have that sense of staleness about them because mm. these guys have been around maybe a little bit too long. Well, no shortage of people declaring the game a watershed for Pochettino and Spurs, some even describing it as disgraceful. Let's hear from longtime Spurs observer Dan Kilpatrick, who was at the game for the Evening Standard, and talks to us now. My verdict is, in a sense, that had been coming. I think, although it seemed like something of a freak result and obviously a shocking result, I think it was Spurs' 17th defeat in 36 games, so they're really in a pattern of poor form that dates back to February. Uh, the Champions League final run very much masked that and was I suppose part of the reason for that last season but this result had in some ways been coming and when you play a a superpower like Bayern Munich in a state of decline as Spurs are it's not that surprising that you get completely spanked 
the confidence in the side is is so fragile at the moment and any kind of knock to it we saw it at Leicester in the defeat when the the, the second goal was ruled out by VAR it knocked their confidence and they went on to lose a game they, they should have won and that speaks to something kind of rotten at the the heart of the dressing room at the moment Dan there's loads of rumors about what that rotten thing in the dressing room might be what's your take I mean I, I don't think it's we need to overthink it really I, th- I think it's kind of obvious that there's there's players there that are in the last year of their contract and are probably going to leave the club in January if not next summer you know we we know who they are they're Ericsson, Alderweireld and Vertonghen there are players there that would be transfer listed in the summer and um, were available to leave in, in Rose, Aurier, Wanyama um, and a few others and they didn't leave and now they're back in the squad and that's been the case for a couple of summers now and Spurs have really struggled to shift players and I think I think just in in many cases that the relationship's got a bit tired I don't think it's necessarily toxic but they're just a bit tired of each other and I think the squad has gone a bit stale the, the squad does feel end of cycle and Spurs can't do anything about that until January they've just got to get on with that and it's difficult for a manager who's been there for five years to to G up the, the same players when they've got one eye on, on, on being somewhere else. Dan, Lindsay yeah. here. Um, just wondering, with that in mind, do you do you put any responsibility on Poch's shoulders for that, for, for letting it go stale? Um, is, there, is there something that he should have done before this stage? I mean, I think it's the responsibility is Pochettino's and the clubs. And I, I think I do sympathise with Pochettino in that respect because... The players he could have used to freshen up this season, obviously Sessegnon and Lacelso, the new signings, they've been injured. Walker Peters and Foyth could have come in, the, the young defenders, and freshened it up. They've both been injured. And Dombele had an injury. So all the, the players he could have used to freshen it up um, have, have been out of, out of the team and out of training. Um, I think there, there is some responsibility to, on the club's shoulders and on Pochettino's shoulders, I suppose, if, that that summer... Uh, 2018 when they didn't sign or sell anyone I think they're really paying the price for that now Um, they left themselves too much to do this summer Um, but I sympathise in that they have tried to shift players they've tried to shift Rose for two summers for instance they tried to shift Wanyama and Aurier this summer and they can't get rid of these guys um, and therefore, they can't bring in players to replace them. So they, they've kind of been stuck in this this state of stasis. And um, I think there is some responsibility on them, but I also sympathise. Dan, there's a lot of people saying, well, that's it. There's no coming back for Pochettino and Spurs now. It was a really dramatic scoreline and it invites absolute judgments. But is there a danger that people are overreacting that come May, we could be looking back and chuckling at how bleak it all looked after two games in the Champions League group stage? Yeah, absolutely. There, there is that danger. And Spurs always start seasons quite poorly. They always take time to warm up under Pochettino. Then generally from November onwards, uh, they're the best team in the league. Um, that, that could happen again. Of course, they started poorly in the Champions League last year and recovered. Uh, I think there was a slightly freak element to, to the Bayern scoreline in that literally everything Bayern hit um, in, in the last 10 minutes was hit so well and flew straight into the bottom corner. It was unsavable. But I think, as I, as I said at the start, there, there do seem to be more uh, deep-rooted, long-term problems this time. And I think a scoreline like that generally points to to some problems at the club. Um, you know, that said, it looked like they'd turned the corner against Crystal Palace when they won 4-0. It looked like they'd turned the corner against Southampton when they, they won 2-1 with, 
with 10 men. And, you know, if they beat Brighton and Watford in the next two games, which are very winnable games, I think they'll probably be third and, and it would actually be looking quite rosy. So at the moment, it's it's almost worth judging them. You have to judge them kind of game by game. So we'll see where they are in a couple of weeks. Dan Kilpatrick from the Evening Standard. Next up for Spurs, Brighton. If you were going to pick a fixture to follow the Champions League disgrace, as some people are calling it, um, Brighton away is, is OK. Really? Because obviously Spurs haven't won away from home for ages in the league. It's going to be their longest run since 2006 if they don't. Wow. But Brighton haven't won any of their last ho- eight home games. Um, and, you know, it's cl- people who are finding life a bit fast and tough in London often go down to Brighton and, and find a better uh, you know pace so I think this is quite a good fixture I suppose Can you shed any light on this uh, suggestion that um, Brighton have perhaps been a little bit hard done by in terms of results versus the underlying performances I think probably the most kind of indicative thing is that they really have changed the way they play you know Matt Ryan has become the most committed goalkeeper to playing in his own penalty box this season which is you know everyone would have assumed it would be Edison or Allison if he hadn't got injured um, but you know I think the one strength of Graham Potter is that he completely believes in what he's doing you know he, he's got this vision um, and he's not going to you know a few bad results aren't going to put him off Final word on Spurs Rafa Well final word is I don't know about final word, but I think what the issue is that Pochettino went into the season grumpy and unhappy, and he made no secret about it. He wanted wholesale changes. You know, it's been sometimes dressed up at this is a team where players are still there who don't want to be there, but it's worse than that in a way because the manager also doesn't want some of these players to be there. Mm. He wanted those players gone off the wage bill and free up. Did you see when Sissoko's contract extension was announced and they asked Poch about this in the press conference? No. They said, oh, you know, so Sissoko's arranged a new deal. And his response was, as reported by Dan Kilpatrick, that's something between him and the club. Not one of those nice <laughs> no. arm around photos. Sadly not. No. So anyway, so I have sympathy with, with Pochettino, um, but it's a tough moment, I think, for this Spurs team. And it's could be about to get even tougher Saturday lunchtime as they visit the Amex. Up next, everybody, we're off to Merseyside. Jose Mourinho here. Let me tell you a thing or two about special. An 18-year career at the top of football management, that's special. League titles in every country I've worked, that's special. What isn't special is winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games. That's right, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. No respect. Get over it. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. That's right, listener. 2014, when Uptown Funk was a tune and the streets of Liverpool were graced by the seats of a bold young manager out for his jog, sniffing the mints in the evening air as his Liverpool came close <laughs> to winning an actual Premier League title. Isn't that libelous? Happy days. Happy days. Yeah, Brendan Rodgers, Rafa, was the man, of course. And you know what? He's back there at Anfield as visiting manager for the first time. This weekend, the the mince business. Do you not remember that famous quote uh, when he said, "Let's hear from him." I love to run on the streets around here. I love seeing the people going about their business. These are our people. I love running late in the afternoon 
when the doors are open and the dinners are on and you can smell the mince cooking. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I just he, remember him pushing the envelope. Yes. Liverpool. Very yeah. much so. But he, he's given us so many delights. And you know what? It's easy to laugh. But he also brought Liverpool fans a quite extraordinary season there in tandem with Luis Suarez and one or two other talents. As he returns this time. Hey, Lindsay. That was the year that I was at the club. So I worked for LFC TV Did you? that season. So you'll have seen a lot of I saw a lot Rogers. of Suarez goals. And, um, and I never I never saw them lose because the the matches like the Chelsea slip the Crystal I wasn't Ball there. The, oh right, was but I was I was for the Norwich game, which was incredible to be yeah. at Anfield for that. Right. Um it it was a crazy time. Wow. Can and you, did you can you tell us other stuff that uh, was that subject to an NDA? After the podcast, I can, Rafa. Because mm. that was the era in which he went from this kind of shy, tactical ingenue who'd had so much success at Swansea to a kind of re-upholstered... Oh, yeah, permatan. so I was there for the transition period. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because there was the, the white sparkly teeth, mm-hmm. the tan... Yep. Um, generally fitness. I think he, he went quite hard on the, the gym work. Right. As Memphis Depay was later to discover. Mm. There was a definite transition and, of course, other things going on behind the scenes there. What? Uh, but anyway, and how did you uh, find him? I always, fa- I always found him brilliant. Yeah. He, he was always uh, very respectful. He always gave answers. He, he never dodged a question. But then I was working for the club channel at that time. So right. I was never there to stitch him up. Fair. But then there are people uh, among our totally friends who work for club channels who've had entirely different experiences with the manager of that, that club down at Chelsea, not mentioning any names. <laughs> and that. But anyway, well, you know what, Brendan Rodgers, I've got, I've got a lot of time for Brendan myself. I love the way he thinks. I love the way he speaks. Big fan of the way he runs as well. Duncan? Yeah, no, just thinking back to that season, it still blows my mind that the second closest player to Gerrard when he slipped was Mo Salah. <sighs> still, you know, the last time Mo Salah was involved in a Liverpool defeat, league defeat at Anfield was playing for Chelsea in that match. That's an extraordinary fact. Hmm. Because they haven't lost at home since he joined them. That's cool. Really? That's why you were here. (laughs) The Algona. (laughs) So, as he arrives this time, he'll find a Liverpool side that threatened to make mints of Salzburg midweek, went 3-0 up, Rafa, but then almost blew it. And it was a crazy game. It was a match that ultimately finished well with Mo Salah's second of the evening. Three points for Liverpool. But how... Much should Liverpool be worried by the way they got turned inside out at times by the Austrians in the second half? Well, you have to be worried if you concede three goals at home um, against Salzburg. Salzburg are a very good team, possibly a team that's not much worse than Leicester. I mean, I would rate them very, very highly if they played in any other league. I think they'd be probably Champions League contenders or at least in the sort of upper six. It's no disgrace as such to be put under pressure by Salzburg. But what you can do, can't do, is A, B as open as Liverpool were. Throughout the game, they never really adjusted to Salzburg's uh, dangers and threats, which I found very, very strange. The fullbacks kept going really high up the pitch and the two centre-backs were, were often isolated. And, and, of course, individual mistakes. Van Dijk got uh, very uncharacteristically turned inside out for Salzburg's second goal. And, and Gomez completely switched off for the third from, from Haaland. He was playing for offside, even though the ball was crossed back from the goal line, which, you know, it's just it's impossible to be offside from that position. So there was some enough for, I think, for Jurgen Klopp to be quite angry with how his team applied themselves. At the same time, this was a 
sideshow, if you will, if you will or, or an effect of them being so unbelievably good going forward. Mm. I mean, there was so much going on in terms of the attacking mm. uh, performance. It was probably the best of the season. Right. So a little bit more balance is needed. And you'd sense that they will be um, having struggled against Leicester in the past. Mm. Uh, I remember uh, the game in, in January, for example that they will be quite wary and uh, a little bit more careful. What Did happened in the game in January? It, well, it should be less icy than it was in January. Remember, that was the game where basically the f- pitch was frozen and then in the second half, at uh, half-time, the Liverpool ground staff cleared the ice at one end of the pitch. Oh. I think they did it at the wrong end because rather they did it at the end Liverpool were attacking, which actually made it easy for Leicester to defend. It was 1-1. Right. But it was the first points I think they dropped in in that kind of yeah, yeah. In that weird run. Uniquely, Liverpool have conceded more goals in the Champions League over the last six months than in the Premier League. I mean, I think the, on the positive for Liverpool was the goal from Robertson. You know, right. fullbacks combining. Again. So Manny's opening goal against his former club and a lovely piece for Rafa about him returning to his roots in Salzburg on the Athletic uh, box ticked uh, this week. Uh, but yes, do take us through the extraordinary dynamicism of, of, of uh, Liverpool's defensive attack there. Well, yeah, Robertson bursts forward, as he does often. Ball eventually finds itself out on the right flank with um, with Alexander-Arnold, who uh, you know gets the byline, pulls it in, um, and Robertson's continued his run, um, lets the ball come across him and finishes with his left foot. It was a brilliant finish means that since the it's start it's kind of extraordinary to watch though you're thinking what, hang on what are you doing up there the way he just runs yeah and you can see the delight the two of them were sort of look what we've done um, we clever sort of thing but it was you know since the start of last season those two players have provided 33 assists for Liverpool wow. which is a lot well Liverpool's position in the group looking a lot healthier after getting that win in the end and the fact that Napoli who'd beaten them on match day one only got a point away at Genk in a goalless draw earlier on, on Wednesday. Paul asks, what do you guys make of Liverpool's defending? Rafa wasn't concerned last night, but I was. And the same against Sheffield United. Is it the high line, lack of control from midfield? Uh, Thanks. And Josh, maybe one for Duncan for all their early season success. Are Liverpool better or worse than they were at this stage last season? That point about Sheffield United, it's the second straight game when Liverpool have scraped a win. Uh, and and been a little bit fortunate in doing it. Yeah, possibly. And they've got a particularly horrible fixture list coming up in the Premier League. Um, so Leicester's tough. They've got Man United. Um, they've got Villa, uh, Tottenham uh, and City all coming up pretty soon. So, you know, they are obviously five points clear, but it, it could change quickly. We saw last season that they went from clear to behind City on goal difference in the space of about four days. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, so, well, Sheffield United posed Liverpool problems and so did Salzburg. What can Leicester do? Leicester, who were rather disappointing in their recent trip to Old Trafford, uh, is this going to be any different? And how much added needle is there going to be, Lindsay? Because Jurgen Klopp's actually living in Brendan's house. And I don't mean metaphorically <laughs> as Liverpool manager, but he's renting Brendan Rodgers' old gaff, a, a lovely spot it is too. And what he doesn't know is it's bugged. Right. Is that what you're going to tell us? I don't know. Can you imagine every day Jürgen gets up in the morning, <laughs> above his bed is the big portrait of Brendan Rodgers. Freezer full of mints. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. It doesn't need any extra motivation, okay. this one, does it, for, for Brendan Rodgers? I mean, it's Rodgers' first, as you said earlier, first time back at Anfield since 2015. Um, his last game there, they beat Tim Sherwood's Villa 
um, on the same day that Leicester lost 5-2 to Arsenal and everyone was like, well, their early season start's going to fade away. Um, the only player left from that team, actually, from the starting eleven, um, is Milner. Right. Um, they did have Gomez, Lalana, and Origi on the bench, but obviously four years is a long time in Liverpool. And 30 years is even longer. James Milner, the only one of the Liverpool squad who was alive last time they won the title. Could this be the year? Could this be the weekend when it all starts to go wrong? A quick prediction, Lindsay? It's as good a chance as any for mm. Leicester to, to do it with the current form they're in, Jamie Vardy in the form that he's in. I do see that this will be a narrow victory to Liverpool, though. I think they've probably got too much in terms of attack. Um, but there will be goals, I'm sure of it. And I'm just disappointed it's not on television, this well, one, yeah. in the UK. The worldwide audience will get to enjoy it, but we won't get to feast on it. I'm flying to the Bahamas just so I can watch it. I'm not. <laughs> Fair. All right. After this, let's talk about uh, the other Premier League sides who are in action in Europe and then all that other stuff, including your team, listener. Four Four Two Magazine is the thinking fans' favourite football brand for those who value access, insight, and humour in their coverage of the world's greatest sport. From grassroots to top leagues, Four Four Two's writers bring together the biggest names and stories to take you behind football's velvet rope. For example, they've got exclusive interviews with Jurgen Klopp, Raheem Sterling, and Rafa Benitez coming up, as well as a special issue dedicated to what really happens day to day in football management. Because you listen to the Totally Football show you can pick up a subscription to 442 and get three issues for just one pound all you have to do is visit myfavoritemagazine.co.uk slash tfs19 or call 03448482852 and quote the code tfs19 do it today and you'll also get a free 442 25th anniversary collection ebook worth 10 pounds that's three issues for just one pound when you go to myfavoritemagazines.co.uk slash tfs19 or dial 03448482852 and quote the code TFS19442. It's football's most insightful read. Hey, listener, are you a Man City fan? All right. Were you seduced by Pep's side on Tuesday and their 2 0 win over Dinamo Zagreb? It was a frustrating evening, at least until the substitutes came on Sterling and then Phil Foden, and they sorted it out. Rafa rightly pointed out earlier that actually the Champions League group stage yeah. is a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for. But I think this game is the sort of group game that people think of when they think the you know the group stage is a bit of a kind of procession. Right. The midweek news about Man City wasn't just the Zagreb game. It was also the fact that Kim de Bruyne had picked up an issue to his... Uh Groner. Yeah, and already Pep Guardiola's hinted, because I'm, I'm going to be at the match at the Etihad against Wolves. Of Wolves, Sunday. of course. Um, and he's already hinted that KDB will not be involved in that. Yes. He's going to be rested for longer. Will Phil Foden be involved? Well, this is the talking point. I think, if anything, we can talk about him from this match. Is it right that a player is only getting literally minutes? I mean, on this occasion, he did actually score within those minutes. But I do not think that he's getting a fair crack at this. And Pep Guardiola actually spoke about it afterwards. You know, what am I to do? Um, but many, I'm with Pep. What is well, he, many what is think he that he's going to be the natural replacement for David Silva when he eventually leaves. But I, I feel that Phil Foden deserves more. I mean, certainly not just the odd minute here and there. Before and after games, Guardiola's like... A I'm going to give Phil Foden a chance. He's a brilliant young player. But then during the game, he suddenly, you know, forgets that. I think we've got to respect Guardiola's track record. If anyone knows when to hold him and when to Foden, it's Guardiola. Yes. Um, 
Look, Guardiola wants to win a Champions League with City. That is the big obsession of his. I don't think he's particularly concerned in giving game time to particular players, uh, making sure that they develop. Yes, that is somewhere in the back of his mind is certainly in the uh, interest of City as a club, but I don't think he necessarily thinks about these bigger stories. I mean, well, what, you only have to go back to his decision to play Leroy Sané in the Community Shield. He was so desperate to win that game that a guy who was negotiating with Bayern and City knew what was going on. And uh, there was a sense that a deal could be done. You know, he plays the game and, and does his cruciate. Even in the League Cup, though, I mean, what would it hurt to give him, you know, half an hour or more? I, I just don't think that it's adding up completely with what he's saying when he's being questioned about it and oh, the no, reality. But, but what Pep says rarely adds up because he <laughs> he loves to be super complimentary about everyone, uh, the opposition, his own players. I mean, he said some stuff about Phil Foden that, you know, Messi might get upset about. Was mm. it the most... He said the, the most, most talented player. Yeah, but it's just all guff. I mean, I know from three years at Bayern, he would talk about every single player in these terms. And then next week, they were, wouldn't even play right. or they'd be sent out because Pep doesn't believe in him at all. So we can't pay any, any sort of credence to that. But ultimately, it's down to the player. I mean, the player had options to go somewhere else. He felt that, you know, Man City was the right place for him to stay. Jaden Sancho, for example, felt, I don't believe in all these promises. I'm going to mm. go somewhere else. And, and if you're Gareth Southgate, are you, you having a word? Bed. Are you having a word in his ear and saying... With Pep? No, in, in, the, in the ear of Phil Foden and saying, you need more game time, you need to leave. I think I don't Gareth's think way too polite. To Southgate say. is... Show. Yeah, he wouldn't do that. I want to ask you about Wolves and their yes. exciting uh, new vein of form. We, we don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. The vein of form, which is one one win, and then we could get back-to-back wins at City. Absolutely, that form. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Uh, in action on Thursday night, that could be a back-to-back win away at Besiktas. So we obviously we don't know how that one's going to turn out. But uh, a one-one at Molyneux. That you 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 caused Man City some problems last year. I think Man City and certainly Pep is a little bit fearful of how Wolves play because mm. what was proven last season is that going up against teams that that play the way that City does um, actually works for Nuno Espirito Santo quite often. But I I would imagine that Pep's taken note of the early season form and thought that this is a different Wolves side this season and that Europe is taking its toll. They will have been to Besiktas, so I would have thought that this is a standard Manchester City win here. I don't think that Wolves are particularly going to cause them too much issue, even without Kevin De Bruyne. All right. The other bit of City news, of course, was the fact that Bernardo Silva's now been charged by the FA for misconduct. I think aggravated misconduct for for that Benjamin Mendy tweet where he compared his teammate to basically a racist trope about funny-looking people in the Congo. Um, One other thing, if you want it, on the City game. Yes, just to kind of um, highlight City's dominance in that game, they had 73 touches in the uh, opposition penalty area, which is more than... 73? 73, which is a lot. And to put it into context, it's more than uh, Cenk Tosin had in 25 Premier League games last season. Wow. <laughs> By the way, uh, Man City, are there any Premier League records they're going for this weekend? So City, if they score six, mm-hmm. which... I, I really mean, hope they don't. <laughs> they could. Um, it'll be the second best goals total in top flight history after eight games. The record Only the second best. I mean, people are always shouting uh, at us right now. It's uh, 38 by Sunderland in 1892, 93. <laughs> 38 goals after eight games is good, and it's actually more than Sunderland have scored in seven of their last 13 Premier League campaigns. Wow. Excellent. Quick word then on Chelsea, who midweek got themselves a first Champions League win under Frank Lampard. 2 1 
at Lille. It's a good run of results that uh, Chelsea are putting together now. And am I right in thinking that Tammy Abraham not only scored on his birthday, joining a select group of people to have done so in the Champions League, but also scored in the minute of his age? Is that correct, Duncan? Yes. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. and also people, <laughs> I'm not Duncan, people got that right because, yeah. Mike, as we know, football is terrible for getting the minute wrong. So someone will say, "Oh, let's clap in the 18th minute because of whatever," and then they'll wait till the clock gets to 1801 and they start clapping. And that's the 19th yeah. minute. I know. So that's not happened before. About somebody scoring on their birthday at it, the exact um, yeah. minute. I mean, it age. probably has, but maybe not in the Champions League. Right. Well, was he, he born in that minute? Well, that's. I think that's an interesting question. He was born in Lille. But, he wasn't. But, but one for another, another day. Saints are hosting Chelsea this weekend, a fixture which Chelsea won 3-0 at St Mary's last season. Different times, of course. I suspect was that, uh, that would have been under their previous Saints manager, was it, before Ralph Hasenhutl took over? Rafa, I'm, I'm basically shifting the discourse here across to uh, the Austrian manager. Are we already seeing the hand of Hasenhutl there, do you think? Oh, I think we saw it last year, um, last season, when he changed um, completely the dynamics and the way the team played, and they they f- suddenly found a bit of purpose and and managed to save themselves. Now, making the next step up, that is always going to be the the more difficult one because right. you are finding yourself up against um, teams that have better squads, teams that are further along in their development. Um, West Ham would be a good example. Leicester would be a good example. And Southampton, who not long ago had this unofficial tagline of we want to be the best of the rest, are now fighting to get actually into the rest and not to get in with the uh, you know the lower sides who are struggling mm. against relegation. So it's not his work is is only beginning, and I think he needs more players who can play that kind of football right. uh, before we see a, a more a more functioning side that can take on uh, better teams more effectively. Can he? Unlock the genius of Sufjan Buffal. You, you spent some time yeah. with. The I did this week. Yeah. Um, it's a very happy camp, and uh, uh, the one thing that I really uh, enjoyed was the honesty from him because from Buffal. Yeah, so I, I gave that comparison of you know working under Mark Hughes, being sent out on loan to Celta Vigo, and then now enjoying this rich vein of form under Hasenhutl. And he said, "You know what? Hands up! That was completely my fault." I don't want to go into it. It wasn't a Mark Hughes thing. I know what I did wrong. And I know how to put it right. Ah. Um, I like that he spoke so frankly. Was it? Did he praise a referee in Mark Hughes? I'm not having that. (laughs) Off to Galicia. Off off on loan you go. Um, But a couple of things, because I've been previewing this match. So Yes. um, So I, I know I can do a Duncan Alexander and give you a couple of stats, but maybe not as good as he would. But, the interesting thing is that away form for Chelsea, yep. they've actually shipped more goals away than most other teams. Only Watford have conceded more on the road. Really? Than Chelsea? Yeah. So that's one of them. And mm-hmm. the other thing is Danny Ings. Yes. So for Southampton fans, uh, they will know this, but he loves scoring against big six opposition. So his last six league goals have come against the big six. This season alone, he scored obviously last time out against Spurs, but also against Liverpool. So many people thinking that Ings could be a player to, to get a goal in this match. And uh, I, I don't know. I think Frank Lampard will be having to get used to that playing in Europe, coming back again. Right. Uh, I do wonder if Southampton could get something. Did in. you also spend time with Kurt Zuma in the build-up? I'm doing that tomorrow. All oh, right, that, that'll be something to look forward to. Not so happy as his middle name suggests yes. lately, because he was at fault again, wasn't he? In the was he for yeah, the nil goal? He was, uh, and there was a free header. I mean, he should have 
he should have picked mm. up um, Ozerman, who scored, yeah, the header. Right. Uh, well, OK, as you raised some important questions there about Southampton, Chelsea, questions that will be answered in the course of this weekend's action in the Premier League. But I think we need to show a bit of love for Chelsea. Yes. Because they haven't been getting... Um, perhaps the results that they deserve. They're playing a system that m can make them a little bit vulnerable and, and things can turn easily from, a, you know, pushing another team all the way to the to creaking point, but then getting hit on the break and then suddenly you think, oh, Chelsea are vulnerable. But actually their game plan has worked pretty well so far. And it is a completely new plan with completely new players who tend to be a little bit inexperienced as well. So I think Lampard and Chelsea should be very happy with where they are at the moment. Arsenal Man United are in action on Thursday in the Europa League. The Gunners are at home to Standard Liège and United are at AZ Alkmaar. And those two teams, Arsenal and Man United, played out what's been described as an absolute stinker of a Monday night game at Old Trafford. I didn't see it myself because I was busy, Duncan. Did you, Lindsay? It was dire, yes. Right. OK, took 28 minutes for a shot on goal and went downhill from there. It followed that form. It, I, there wasn't even many clear chances on target. Really? And, and that that was just, you know, in, in years got gone by, you'd watch Manchester United and Arsenal and the goals would be peppered. Those are the sorts of performances we're used to watching. But this was just lackluster. That kind of thing. Yeah. This yeah. was nil-nil. And it wasn't in the end, but it felt like it was going that way. Right. OK. Uh, next up, Arsenal will be hosting Bournemouth in the kind of nice, the nice teams derby. <laughs> While there'll be a bit more needle, I think, when Man United visit Newcastle. Hey, that's Sunday at four o'clock. And uh, well, like the Arsenal Manchester United era, yeah, Newcastle Manchester United was the was the big game. Five nil. Yeah, that obviously came the season after Newcastle had blown it. It was the kind of last hurrah of the uh, Keegan era, really. Right. That much. But and it featured this. Here they are looking for number five with Philippe Albert. Philippe Albert. Extraordinary. Actually, Nick Miller, if you're partial to a bit of retrospective uh, fun, he's done an excellent uh, reminiscing package of the 5-0 uh, win in October 1996 by the Magpies on the thetotallyfootballshow.com. Super. Well, actually, you know what? 5-0. Newcastle lost 5-0 in, uh, in their last match against Leicester, which we used to think was a bad scoreline, of course, until Tuesday and, and Tottenham. <laughs> uh, but uh, are they going to bounce back, do you think, at home to Man United? No, no. I don't think they will. But I, oh. I, I don't think that Manchester United will will put in a comprehensive performance either. I think they're, they're way off that. A big question mark if Pogba plays as to what performance he puts in. Absolutely. Pogba's got no goals from open play in, I think, 26 games now. Jesse Lingard, none in 21. Andres Pereira, none from open play in 15. Rashford, I think, one from open play in 19, Duncan? Yeah, I mean, um, Lingard, we discussed earlier in the season about how he hasn't assisted or scored a goal in the Premier League since that December when he got quite a few. Basically, it's all, all December. Now he's obviously completed September this year without one. So he's into October. So another, another clean month for him. Let's see if he can get involved in this one. I mean, this is going to be... The United's longest run without an away win in the league since Born on the 4th of July came out. Um, and I actually had a look to see if any of the United or Newcastle players had ever Were been... Were born on the 4th of July? None. That's disappointing. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer up against Steve Bruce, former Man United defender, of course, and the man that another former Red Devil, Paul Lynch, suggested should have actually got the job at Old Trafford. 
This is going to be his 400th Premier League match. Steve, Steve Bruce, Bruce is. As a manager, yeah. He's got the lowest win percentage uh, of any manager with more than 300 in the game, with 27.8%. Are you all set, Rafa, for that battle of the top four contenders on Saturday at tea time? That's right. It's West Ham, fifth on goal difference, against Crystal Palace, who are only one point off the top four. Should be quite an exciting game, this one. I'm keen to see how Yarmolenko gets on. Yes. Why, in particular? Well, just because he's looking sensational, oh, isn't he? See. Yeah, Everything he does. He's the player that Dortmund thought they got when they bought him. Mm. Uh, it never really worked out for him. He also had some injury problems. But not for Bianski, which I think is a, a serious problem mm. um, because he is the unsung... Well, I don't know how unsung a hero he is, but he's been one of the outstanding performers in the Premier League who perhaps hasn't been able to um, get as much limelight as he would have at other clubs. And... Uh, I'm not a total expert on, on second-string goalkeepers at West Ham, but I understand his replacement isn't quite seen in the same... He didn't look all that confident in uh, away at Bournemouth. Yeah. Luka Milivojevic is out as well, but that's for collecting his fifth yellow of the season, which is good going. Yeah, he's only the 25th days. player in Premier League history to have five bookings after seven matches, which is pretty impressive. Right. Um, Igor Stimac is the only person to do it twice, oh. if anyone's wondering. <laughs> this game, obviously... Be good to see Roy Hodgson at the Olympic Stadium. He's lived through 18 different Summer Olympics. Fair play. There you go. That's West Ham Palace. Uh, also taking place in the Premier League this weekend, you have Norwich taking on Aston Villa, which is, yes, the champions and the playoff winners from the championship last season taking each other on. They're both currently occupying spaces in the bottom four. Norwich won both of these meetings last season, 2-1. But the interesting stat here is that in the first ever Premier League season, back in 1992-93, it was these two sides who finished second and third behind Man U. How times have changed. Norwich that season with a goal difference of minus four and they finished in the top three. Right. What's their goal difference now, Duncan? Minus seven. Wow. They've lost four of their last five. In fact, only Watford have let in more goals than the Canaries. Uh, perhaps not surprising because they're now onto their third choice goalie amongst a raft of other injuries so yeah famine getting injured was a big blow for them mm. uh, oh speaking of Watford they're hosting Sheffield United three o'clock on Saturday not a game that you can see on TV Lindsay but you can if you go along like you're going to do you can road. with your own eyes if you're there yeah um, Tom Cleverley has um, done an interview ahead of this match just saying how huge this game is I, I don't think it needs understating from a Watford point of view they of course, a winless uh, in the Premier League so far. But if you take their their stretch back to beyond the start of this season, it's oh, actually yeah. 11 matches that it stretches back that they've been without a win. Um, and the way that the players have spoken since that 8-0 thrashing from Manchester City... Mm. A couple of players have come out and said that they felt like a kid, you know, on the playground when you feel a bit humiliated, um, that confidence is at an all-time low because of that result. And so the damage that it's done, I think, is still there to to be seen and they need to recover from that quickly. Uh, and in Sheffield United, they face a team who, who I've been very impressed with, although I would say that their first team, it feels like there's not much other than the, the first 11, doesn't it? I, but I, I look at players like Jack O'Connell uh, and Chris Basham, who, who I think have been brilliant, as well as Lundstrom, who we've spoken about on fantasy Premier League shows. Um, they've got good talent in this team and it's certainly not going to be easy for Watford. Uh, the only thing is Sheffield United being away 
I think that Watford need to take advantage of having that home crowd behind them. Don't they have a great record away from home? They, they've been doing okay, but mm. you know you've got to you've got to make Ooh. your cauldron count, haven't you? To be fair, they've only had one win in five, so they're unlikely no. to have a good record either home or away. They had that uh, win at Everton where oh, yeah, they also. were winning and hadn't had a shot on target but, or a shot for a long part of the game. <laughs> for me, this this yes. match is is the big thing about this match is Ben Foster against Dean Henderson, the only two goalkeepers this season who have actually put goal kicks into the opposition penalty area twice. Right. So fans of big men hitting footballs a long way should right. head down to Vicarage Road. Interesting. If uh, if Even if Watford wins 6-0, they still won't move off the bottom of the table. By the way, such is their perilous predicament. What do the stats say? Is It, it feels early to say that they're... You know, gone, but yeah, I mean, teams with no wins from their opening eight, various examples of them are staying up. The only, oh, yeah. only one team's actually recovered from that position to get into the top half, and I think we all remember Harry Redknapp mm. um, taking over Tottenham something, two points from eight games. Something feels slightly different as well with this managerial change, where um, a couple ago, I mean, even when Kike uh, Sanchez Flores left the first time, even though everyone was fond of him as a player, it was still seen that they, they backed the decisions from above, from the, uh, from the owners, that they'd done the right thing. But it feels different this time. Just within the squad, I think there was a lot of love for Javi Gracia. And I don't think that the team really understand the move this time that's something that just from afar you read into it and think maybe maybe this one was one too many right. changes the main key thing that they had under Gracia was I would argue was that performance from Decore and Capu together and the way that they covered pretty much every blade of grass it was box to box midfield and that's gone I, I've not seen that work rate since uh, Gracia left so you would argue you know what is the improvement and those players that weren't getting their chance haven't been shining. I think the thing is, I mean, he's only just come in. The season's already started. They're going to have an international yeah. break. So then we maybe judge him after that. It was well. a tough few fixtures to come in, but it was an in what I'm what I'm trying to flag up is that the the time of the change that early in the season, I, I'm not sure that it's it's going to have worked this time. No, mm. there is also a suggestion that Watford have ultimately done what, what all clubs do, which is to punish a manager for being unlucky and hoping yes. that the next guy is going to be luckier because... The, the, the infamous the infamous XG would suggest that Watford actually did did quite yeah. well, and they and mm. they got to a final of a cup competition. You know, ever ever since then it's been doom and gloom. But I I do feel that he deserved longer. Elsewhere, one other game in the Premier League this weekend sees Everton trying to get trying to put an end to that run of four straight defeats, but visiting Turf Moor. Sean Dyche there with Burnley. Ooh. Well, do you remember when Everton appointed Silver, Deitch was one of the other options. So this, so I read, yeah, this could be a uh, decision. That classico. was that was an interesting. You know, the, the the board clearly had pretty clear ideas <laughs> about what they wanted tactically from their next manager. Yeah, I was at Turf Moor. Was it was it five one that Everton beat? Burnley last season. Oh, I was at that match. The game after they'd lost at home six yes. to Tottenham, which is rare that happens. Right. Um, what do you think, Lindsay? I, I can't predict Everton ever. Right. I, I really try and avoid talking about Everton too much because at one time, it, I, I, over the course of my life, I don't think I've ever been able to predict what they're going to do next. I see. Excellent. Well, that, that should be an exciting game then. 
at <laughs> Turf Moor. But I, I agree, I think, with the international break coming up, mm-hmm. the board might get a little bit itchy and think, you know what, now we can take 10 days or so to, For Marcus to see Silver. if we can find someone who's a mm. bit more really? reliable. Yeah, because a lot of money. Yeah, you spend a lot of money. You know that um, to get from Everton, which is that space just below the top teams, to get into the top teams, you either need superb players and get basically get your transfer policy 100% right. You cannot make any mistakes. Every uh, big player has to be good. Every of the smaller decisions have to work out. And you need a manager who I think is not just one of the top 50 managers in, in European football, but maybe one of the top 10 mm. or 15 or 20 or, to get you that extra level. Or David Moyes, who is currently the favourite to come back to Goodison and, and take over. And at a point where Manchester United are underperforming, at a point as well where Chelsea are in a transitional phase with young players, mm-hmm. there is a gap opening up, Spurs wobbling. If I was Everton owners, that this is the time, isn't it? This is God, you're ruthless, Lindsay. Wow. A second or two ago, you go, yeah, give give Javi Gracia, who's been rubbish since <laughs> that January. That was Well, loads more time. But this new fella... <laughs> no, he's not that him. new. Sack- oh, no, you're right. He has been there a while, hasn't he? Okay, fair enough. Anyway, we still have loads to come here on the Totally Football Show. Oh, we're going to be talking about Copa Libertadores semi-final as River Plate took on Boca. Do you remember all the shenanigans last time for the final last season? What went on this time? We'll be finding that out very shortly. We'll also be uh, having a few more of your questions. But first, here's producer Ben with Paddy Power. Thanks very much, Jimbo. What a weekend we have in store. So, Lee Price, please give us some numbers on things. Let's start at Anfield. Brendan Rodgers returning back to Liverpool. Can Leicester get a point in this one? (laughs) I don't think Brendan Rodgers is the kind of guy that gets nervous. I think he has bulletproof confidence. But this might be a game where he has a slight anxiety given what happened to him at Anfield. And the odds just that that's with good reason. It's odds on the Reds win this one, 2-5. The draw is 7-2. Leicester win is 6-1. If you want to bet on Brendan avoiding defeat on his return to Anfield, you get 9-5 to five on a double chance. That means that Leicester will win or draw the game for you to win your bet. We've been discussing Man United and Newcastle problems in front of goal. Um, is there any chance that there could be two goals or more in this fixture? Yeah, the real top of the table clash. So long as the table you're looking at is the Paddy Power sack race betting market, of course. Uh, but we do smell goals here, though. Perhaps weirdly... Perhaps not. It's odds on 3-10. to 10, There's at least two goals in this game. The Red United are odds on for the win at 5-6. to six, with The Black and White United 10-3. The draw, which would help neither side really, 12-5. to five. And last but not least, let's talk about Watford. Can they get their first win of the season at home to Sheffield United? Yeah, it's getting to the stage of the season, isn't it, where Watford need to start winning games um, and we can write this off as a bad start or it becomes their reality this season. A win would help things, and we fancy them to do that. 11-10, they get their first victory of the league season. Sheffield United are 5-2 to to win this one. They are six points better off after all than the Hornets. The draw here, 9-4. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Did you see that amazing video of the yes, plane coming in over Buenos Aires on, what, Tuesday night as River Plate were kicking off against Boca? Incredible. Mm. The, the fireworks bursting in the sky over the Monumental. Remarkable. Uh, Copa Libertadores semi-final, South America's equivalent of the Champions League, and a repeat of last year's infamous final 
which was meant to take place at the Monumental, but then had to be shifted two weeks later in Madrid because the River Flans attacked the Boca team bus as it approached the stadium. What happened this time? Well, River came away with a 2-0 first leg win and our friend Sam Kelly from the Hand of Pod podcast was watching it in Buenos Aires. Yeah, uh, first time they've played in the continental competition because they actually met in the league about three weeks ago. Um, but not very much happened there, so no one was interested. Um, I'm afraid to tell you that Daniela De Rossi did not get on uh, because he's nursing a niggling injury at the moment, so he wasn't in the match day squad. But his performances for Boca so far in the games that he has played have been, you know, fine. I mean, on the one hand, when he's played, he's clearly looked like one of the most switched on uh, and best players on the pitch. On the other, he's been, and, and I suppose in a way, this is kind of a function of of the position and the role that he plays. He's looked like he's been kind of ticking over and, and, and knitting everything together very quietly, um, rather than past, uh, obviously not Europeans who've come down here, but past players who have come back home from Europe and have really set the league alight in recent years, who have tended to be in you know more attacking positions. I mean, Lisandro Lopez and Diego Milito coming back to Racing. Uh, Carlos Tevez and uh, admittedly to a slightly lesser extent in terms of club legend status Mauro Sarate when he joined Boca um, Eduardo Salvio even this season in the matches he's played for Boca who, who did get off the bench for them has looked like one of their best attackers so De Rossi uh, hasn't featured in, in this leg unfortunately he might be um, featuring in the second which is in about three weeks time but overall the, the Argentina experiment for him so far seems to be one that he's enjoying um, off the pitch, not in the wrong ways off the pitch. And when he gets to play on the pitch, he, he you know brings something to the team. But yeah, last night we, we didn't get to see that. Sam, we mentioned all the problems last season off the field. How were things around the ground this time around? It, it was always going to get played this time, partly because the, the, you know, the police presence was obviously jacked up enormously after what happened last year. The atmosphere has been a, a little bit muted actually by by the standards of normal superclasicos even the league one that was on a few weeks ago the television stations the radio newspapers everybody you know the journalists all on twitter start previewing these games like a week in advance even sometimes before the teams have played the match before the superclasico i mean the, the country was obviously still you know paralyzed by it as, as the cliche goes but it, it sort of seemed like everybody was thinking well, it can't top last year. You know, it's not the final. There's this sort of sense of, well, this is no longer a match that we could talk about as, is this the biggest Super Classico ever? Um, because of what happened nine or ten months ago. It's impossible to get any bigger than that, given that they can't both qualify for the Club World Cup in the same year. Return leg of that coming up uh, on the 23rd of October. The other semi-final, Rafa, is an all-Brazilian affair. Symmetrically enough, uh, Grêmio and Flamengo sharing a 1-1 draw Wednesday night. Interesting. A uh, quick question here from Andrew Lang, who we've not heard from before. My daughter plays for Sterling Albion and loves the Champions League goal show. <laughs> Ticking all the boxes here, Andrew. She was amazed that there is a women's Champions League to aspire to and that Scott Booth is working wonders with zero pounds. How long before WSL teams take notice? Will Leon wipe the floor again? I think Leon probably will. Surely if anyone again. should be wiping the floor, it's Ajax. Oh. 
No. Come on. <laughs> anyway, sorry, back to you, Lindsay. I, I do think that Leon are light years ahead uh, still. So there's going to be some catching up that needs to happen. But Arsenal have been have been looking incredible um, for, for the last season and a half. And I think they've they've got players that are back from injury that they didn't have last season when they won the title. So they Joe Montemuro might think that pushing in the Champions League is mm. quite feasible this time as well. Um, Chelsea had a slightly rocky start. They haven't lost, but they... They haven't been firing like they they've been used to. So and they're, they're visiting Arsenal this weekend. In yes, WSL. So that's going to be that's going to be a big match. Uh, anything else from WSL this weekend? We will be wrapping up everything WSL on Monday in the Offside Rule WSL edition. So okay. we'll have all of the matches covered. We'll have guests on the phone, journalists at, at each game. So make Brilliant. sure people people are loving that. that show, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. And you have an Offside Rule coming up today. In fact, as soon yes. as we wrap this puppy up, it'll be back on. Yeah. Uh, what what's going to be on your agenda? Football mergers. Really? So you know that there's been this rumor for some time, hasn't there, that the Belgian league and the the Dutch league were going to join forces, and right. then there's other ones like the MLS league. And I, I was just thinking about it, and and I thought, what other mergers would we like oh, to see? Did anyone football? else hear yeah. murders? Yes. I, <laughs> can you do it on football murders instead? Because that, that would be brilliant. I immediately thought, oh my goodness, can we just scrap our entire show and go back and do murders? Brilliant. <laughs> Next week, it hey, it's international like. break. Football murders, hands off, we're doing that. We'll do that that next week. We're doing that on the international break. Right, uh, brilliant. But back to your boring mergers. Yes, uh, when I think it feels collide. so much more. It feels so much more boring now. No, it, it, it was used as a spark for us to talk about other sort of fictional mergers. Fanciful. <laughs> Every time I say merger now, I feel like I say murder. Right, a uh, I think it will be. I think it will be us talking about things we'd like to see in football that Good. merge that aren't necessarily leagues. Right. Or like what, James. for example, Arsenal and Tottenham. All right. Could yeah, you, but you maybe maybe even nah. more creative than that one, Rafa. All right, or uh, Thames you know, Valley Royals. Nice. That was actually a, a mooted merger, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't, want, I don't want to give away my answers. Is People it? need to listen to the okay, podcast. Okay, but you're talking about leagues and stuff. No, Initially, there were loads of clubs like Sampdoria. Uh, oh, yeah. There, like San Piedarina and Andrea Doria. You can Venezia. talk about clubs like RB Salzburg and RB Leipzig. They'd be a good joint force, wouldn't they? They'd probably win Bundesliga. I'm sure one of your listeners said that on our tweet earlier. They did, didn't mm. they? Well done, listener. Anyway, uh, all right. Well, that's going to be exciting, and that's going to be recording as soon as we finish off today. But we're not done yet. In France, for example, you've got the Derby du Rhône, Saint-Étienne against Lyon. PSG are taking on their surprise title rivals, Angers. A little bit of Angers management, perhaps, from the Parisians. We're talking of Angers man- management. Mm-hmm. Thomas Tuchel became the first manager to be shown a yellow card in the Champions League this week. Oh, so. right. We also had a physio shown a yellow card, didn't no, we? No, sent off. Sent off. Yeah. Right, in the Eat Champions that. League. Alexander Sikora from Leipzig was sent off. Right. The game's gone. Indeed. He certainly had Leipzig, who were one of the kind of stories in that they were defeated at home to Lyon, who had been in rotten form. Uh, we'll see if they can improve things this weekend in Ligue 1. And indeed, in the Bundesliga, in Leipzig's case, it's an interesting uh, interesting uh, weekend in, in Germany. They're at uh, Bayer Leverkusen, aren't they? While Bayern Munich take on Hoffenheim. Dortmund currently in eighth place, but they're only three points off the top because the entire top six are only separated by one point, Lindsay. You've got Bayern one point ahead of five teams. Crazy. In Spain, two points separating the top six. Big games this weekend include Real Madrid... Problems rumbling on after that 2-2 draw with Bruges. They're hosting surprise second-place side Granada. Barcelona, meanwhile, up against former leaders Sevilla. The two teams are level right now behind uh, Real Madrid and Granada. 
and uh, Barcelona welcoming Messi back uh, this midweek. And that's going to make all the difference. Well, it, it did on yeah. it did on Wednesday because they were up against an Inter team who, I think, well, it certainly shocked me. They played some wonderful football Inter. They they took the lead. They looked good for maybe another couple of goals. Maybe should have had a penalty when Sensi was brought down. But in the end, Messi just turned on the magic. That run that led to the goal from Suarez. The oh. first one. Yeah. Yeah, and then Suarez's finish. Oh, Insane. So you know. But anyway, we'll talk more about all this kind of thing on next Tuesday's Totally Football Show. And we'll also look back on what happened when Genoa took on Milan, a match that could prove decisive for the careers of either manager, or perhaps both, Andrezzoli and Giampaolo, the two guys in question. Excellent. For that show, on Monday, we'll be here looking back at the weekend with Daniel Story, Michael Cox and Emma Saunders. So do join us, listener. For that, many thanks in the meantime to Lindsay, Duncan and Rafa. Have you got big weekends planned, have you? Double football for me, Watford then, Man City. Mm. Duncan? Got a transfer swoop for a dog that's coming in tomorrow. Oh, you lucky chap. Mm. You lucky thing. How does that work? Well, I've essentially bought a dog. Right. (laughs) Right. Rather than, say, loaning another one out. Yeah, that that's a, the dog loan market's very difficult at the moment. There's right. a lot of dogs Although there on is big a contracts. cat. There is a, there might be a dog loan market because brief parentheses, uh there is a cat loan market. You can rent a cat. Yeah, you can with dogs as well actually. Oh, you can borrow my doggy. Borrow my doggy. Yeah. Mm. Why would you rent a cat? Is it to get rid of mice or Well that would be one very, very good reason I can I can testify to the efficacy of a, a feline guest in, in reducing your rodent issues. <laughs> um, but sadly, we had to give our cat away after it, you know, caused other other health concerns. Yeah. And and hello to you, Graham, if you're listening, who, who you know who gave Pepe a, a home. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's sorry. it for today. <laughs> and uh, listener, do enjoy your weekend. We'll catch you soon on Totally. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.